and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Triple Six. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fabulous Sin City and the Golden Spike Hotel and Casino main event. Are you ready? I can't hear you. Players, hear us roar! Written and directed by Sean Patrick Bridges, Triple Six is a high-stakes thriller. A Texas couple heads for Las Vegas to rekindle their marriage. But the getaway is interrupted when an international underworld organization kidnaps the wife and forces the husband to play twisted games to win her back. To bring this story to life, Bridges assembled a cast of over 50 actors and recorded them in a studio in Central Texas. Triple Six's complete story unfolds over five episodes. The first episode introduces us to the couple, Riley and Bryn, as they try to put aside their marital stresses for the sake of their vacation. Riley also meets fellow gambler Stephen at the blackjack table, who turns out to be more than he seems. I spoke to Sean remotely from his home near Austin, Texas. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background as an artist. My name is Sean Patrick Bridges. I started out as a screenwriter. I hit the Nickel Fellowship. I was a finalist. I think that was top 11 out of 6,500 entries. That's sponsored by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. So that kind of mm-hmm. cracked the gates of LA open for me. Um, I went out there. I was uh, hip pocketed by CAA. I had a couple scripts go out under their umbrella. I've written three novels. I'm working on my fourth now. Three are published. I've produced and directed two documentaries in the Caribbean, one in Jamaica, one in Trinidad. Picked as a Stephen King dollar baby in 2020. So I got to actually take a Stephen King short story and manipulate it and turn it into an audio production. And apparently that was the first time that had ever been done, which was which surprised me. Oh, wow. Um, I'm, that surprises me too. I worked on a couple uh, Robert Rodriguez movies for Troublemaker Studios. You can see me in Machete Kills. I'll get random calls from friends going, <laughs> was that you? I see you. I'm like, yeah, that was me uh, in a baby blue full length spandex jumpsuit. So I've done just a, a bunch of different things as a, as a writer. I produced Triple uh, Six, a five episode audio production. I did uh, One for the Road, which was a Stephen King short story akin to, it's a companion piece to Salem's Lot. So getting to just have the rights to that story and, and make that was a crown jewel for something I've done. A lot of different types of things. How did you come to writing? It was something I started early on because it was cheap. It was something I could do. <laughs> I, I wanted to see if I could do this. It didn't seem, you know, I, I learned, I, I never went to school for it. I have a international business and marketing degree from uh, Schiller International University in Heidelberg, Germany. That's where I went to college. So my mm-hmm. background was corporate. Uh, I worked for IBM, Wells Fargo. I was a movie geek my whole life. And getting into screenwriting was a trial and error. I'm like, let me see if I could do this. And I found that my first script, I think I got my first rejection letter from Sundance. I was so thrilled to get, you know, see my name on the Sundance logo and then rejection letters <laughs> poured in after that. So that thrill wore off, but that connected with me to the Austin Film Festival. I went out there, I, I hit it. It was like top, I think second round or something, top 10%. But it was my first script I'd ever written that, that hit a competition. I went out to Austin for the event and fell hard for the city and the the creative camaraderie that you get at a film festival. And and uh, so it was really 
kind of trial by error or trial by fire writing and seeing what works. What is it you learned in this process since you sort of did it yourself? What turned you from getting rejection letters to getting acceptance? What is it you learned about that process that got you there? You can never rest on one piece of material. I think I learned early on to write consistently, rewrite consistently. You're always having to go back to the well and then opportunities would open themselves up. And I remember early on thinking, well, if I made it to LA, that would be a big deal. Once I got a manager or an agent, that would be a big deal. But it's like you're starting over again and you're just, your competition is harder, but you're still required to do a lot of work. It never gets easy. It's always a, a creative process. And that's something that continues to draw me to this industry, whether it's audio projects or scripts or books or film. I like working with other creative-minded people, but I think it was just a... Um, a constant growing process and getting a chance to just work with other people was always a thrill. But as a writer, it's it's a solitary endeavor. So you have to be willing to work and write and rewrite and constantly stick to it. My audio drama, The Book of Constellations, uh, I mm -hmm. finished chapter one, 16 episodes. I'm still marketing it. I'm still trying to get the audience for it, you know. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm like, well, now what? You know, because yeah. <laughs> I think, well, chapter two, sure, I could work on that. But uh, it's, it's like, okay, you put a body of work out there and now, it's time for you to do something else and find the next thing you're going to do. But I, I, sometimes I thought things would overlap too. Like I, I was successful as a screenwriter, but when I, tr when I started writing books, that didn't mean anything. It was like completely two different worlds. So I had oh, to start right. from scratch again, writing a yeah. novel. And what do you do with the book and try to connect with representation and try to find a publisher? Same with the audio world. Nobody cared that I'd done anything previously. You know, it's a whole different universe of people that just focus on this creative work. And part of that is a thrill, though. I like a challenge. Write a script as an audio drama was such a thrill because it was like writing for the blind. I mean, I realized, wait, I'm not going to use a narrator. I'm actually going to have the actors tell the story. How can I do that? How can I do that successfully? How can I keep a listener engaged and want them to continue to listen to that episode and listen to another? Same way with getting a reader to turn the page. You know, you just want to keep people's interest. What made you decide to jump into audio drama from novels and screenplays? I had hit a wall with LA. My experience with LA is a lot like Charlie Brown and the football. I had went out um, <laughs> and it, it just kept happening over and over. I kept, I kept running into walls or, or projects would look like they were going to happen and they would fall apart. I'm very comfortable with failure. I'm on a first name basis with failure. We get along mm. fine. You just pick up the pieces of salvage and move on. That's the only way you can do it. I was just in a rut with uh, my representation and my life in, in trying to move projects in LA. And I was asked to be a reader for the Austin Film Festival. and if you ever wanted to go to writing school or something, I think the best thing you could do is volunteer for a local film festival and be a reader. Mm -hmm. When you're forced to read bad material, I mean, you, I would find <laughs> like, you know, it actually really sparks something in you when you have to read something that clearly isn't working from page one and you can understand why this isn't working and try to then to write coverage for the, or the writer to read later. But uh, it's a great training ground. And for me, I, I felt like I needed to uh, recharge my batteries. And so I did the, the, the read and part of the um, what came along with being a reader was you've got a badge for the film festival. One of the panels I attended was like early Saturday morning and it was called Audio Theater. And I didn't know what it was. And it was uh, Casey Whalen had come in from San Francisco to do this panel. And it was 90 minutes. And I was so glad it wasn't Scientology or anything because I walked out of there completely <laughs> converted. I was like, this made perfect sense to me. I had never been in a recording studio. So again, it was all learning from the bottom floor, but mm -hmm. have to, I wasn't running into representation, production companies, producers, middlemen, people that just were walls I couldn't get through at in Los Angeles. And this was a way of taking a project and completing it 
and getting it out to an audience. So it, it, it sparked my interest immediately and I dove right in. So you hadn't really had much experience with listening to audio dramas prior to this? No. Uh, the, the first script I did, Triple Six, was written as a Hollywood production. It was a script that I had connected with producer interest and I spent like 14 months working on it and uh, nothing happened, which was a typical LA story. Put it on the shelf and moved on, but that process didn't sit well with me and I never forgot that story. And I thought when the opportunity came up, when I discovered the world of audio drama, I thought this would be a good project to try to see if I could make it work in this world. Even though I had an audio visual script, I realized I needed to strip it down and, and tackle it from a different direction as an audio only project. But that was part of the challenge. Part of the, I, I love a good challenge and that was why I dove into it and also was able to do it here in Central Texas. How we found the recording studio, it was a professional recording studio, half alpaca farm, half studio out in the middle of Blanco, Texas. Um, I was able to work with professional actors. I mean, Joe Stevens, who was the lead, came from the Coen brothers. He worked on True Grit. It was a mix of professional actors, theater actors, friends, but it was a, a real big learning experience. And, and I, I just, uh, I thrived in that environment, frankly. I really enjoyed it. Did you do any remote work at all or was it all everyone came to the studio and recorded there? I did. I learned my lesson. I, I wanted that idea of, I liked having the actors work on the scene together, in the studio together. Right. I had the idea of voice acting where you put an actor in a booth and record the lines and you edit it together. But I really wanted to go the other direction and have the actors do the scene together. It's like directing live theater or film acting. You know, everyone plays off each other, yeah. that kind of thing. You also end up working with actors whose schedules don't match up and you try to try to work with those actors to make it work. I mean, the sponsors in Triple Six, I remember recording them individually. I don't think I would ever do that again. That was a lesson I learned the hard way of uh, it just I, I still cringe when I hear those scenes. I don't think it meshes well enough as it mm. does with the actors were able to work together in the studio. Your cast is like 50 something people. <laughs> yeah, it is. What were you thinking? <laughs> Uh, I, I think I was like the pack mule that didn't understand that you had, you had a big, you know, you were carrying a lot of stuff up the mountain. What do you mean? That's just the way it goes. I was fortunate enough to, I'd worked with an actress named June Griffin Garcia, and she was kind of an ambassador for Central Texas. She had worked on film and TV and commercials and a lot of actors knew her. And I brought her into the cast, but I really, she wanted to cast the project. And I was open to that because not a lot of people knew who I was. I think having her as our casting director gave actors like, oh, I know June. So they were willing to give me a shot. I ended up casting as we went along. Even when we went to the studio for episode one, I think I only had scripts banked for one and two. I was working on the third audio script for episode three, and we weren't even thinking about casting episode four and five. We just kind of pushed it down the line. I would do a rehearsal with the actors and then a recording session. And then uh, we would start editing that episode. And I would kind of move the process along. So I would focus on just the actors I needed for just that episode. Now, what color are my eyes? That's easy. They're brown. No, they're hazel with flecks of green. Are you kidding me? That's brown. No, it's not. Brown is not hazel. Now you're splitting hairs. Yes, you are. I should get partial credit for that one. Okay, fair enough. Question two. When is my birthday? Wouldn't happen to be November 18th, would it? And you only remember that because it's exactly one month from yours. Who cares how I know it? I know it. This is fun. I got this. Okay, question three. Hit me. When's our anniversary? No problem. April 23rd. It's the 6th. April 6th. April. Partial credit. 
Triple Six is a thriller. Tell me about your audio drama in your own words. What does this story mean to you? A lot of times you write projects and sometimes they go from your desk to your shelf and that's it. The journey is complete. And I wrote Mm -hmm. a story called Roll the Die. And for some reason, it wouldn't just stay dormant. And I had done this story as a script and then I turned it into a novel and then it became an audio book, like an eight hour audio book. I worked with a professional voice actor to do that. And I was just done with this concept. And then LA producers came knocking and they liked the book title. They liked the concept of Las Vegas. They liked the third act, but they didn't like anything else. So I took it as a challenge to write another story in this universe I already created. And that's kind of where Triple Six came from. I just was always fascinated with the idea of uh, every man in an extraordinary situation. I think I, I tend to like those type of stories. I'll go back to that. Suspense thrillers are my bread and butter. I enjoy those type of stories. I enjoy those type of mysteries. It's a very comfortable genre for me to, to put on. It's like an old sweater. I used to do trade shows a lot. Like I, I've always been fascinated with things that are very unique that uh, you won't find anywhere else. Las Vegas to me is very similar to that. And I did a lot mm-hmm. of work in Las Vegas. I would do trade shows. So it was exhausting work. I would go out on the, on the floor at four in the morning because I had to report to work at five and you'd still see people gambling and there'd be one or two tables going and there'd be this just cloud of desperation. There's always a picture of an old lady above a slot machine who put in a dollar and won 10 grand, but you never see pictures of the people that put money in and won nothing or put money in and just got enough to keep playing. And right. honestly, that's been kind of like my creative life is just, I always keep the winning enough to keep going. So that's what keeps, I keep moving forward. So you've got Riley and Bren, who are the couple. Mm-hmm. Um, Riley sounds a lot like maybe you were in the past, at least. He's, we, I don't think he actually says his occupation in the first episode, but it's clear he does a lot of traveling and he does trade shows and things yeah. like that. And I took that as a cue because they really wanted an everyman. So I tried to pitch different things, but I ended up going back to just a very corporate guy. You know, him and his wife are going off to try to repair their marriage, but things really aren't working great, but they're, they're trying their best. I thought Arwen did a fantastic job as Bryn. Bren is, is clearly unhappy with the situation of their marriage. Mm-hmm. They basically argue right from the start. They have financial troubles, or at least that's implied, because there's a card that's maxed out. There we go, toward baggage claim. Look at that. They even have slot machines at the airport. Yep. You pick up the groceries, you can try your luck. Get your dry cleaning, maybe you hit it rich. They are everywhere. Hey, when was the last time you were out here? Transport Engineering Conference. I was working at the Bellagio, but they put me up at the Imperial Palace. The place was a total nosedive. How many trips has it been this year, so far? What, to Vegas? No, just on the road, in general. I don't know. Seven, maybe? (laughs) Double it. Fourteen. Easy. Is your bag heavy? No, I got it. Should have brought the roller. Hey, hold up. Bren, wait. I thought we agreed. We wouldn't harp about work. No tension, no arguments, no drama. It was going to be all about us. Us having a good time. Who's arguing? I'm just talking. Yeah, about things we tend to argue about. Is it my fault that any time I bring up something you don't like, you get all uncomfortable and try to turn it back against me? I think it, that was almost just like the the, the uh, kind of like husband and wife problems or, or things that can arise. They would find little things to bicker at. And I remember doing those, the, the early writing the, the script and then looking at that first episode thinking, I don't want to get too bogged down. I, I don't want these to be miserable people. I want the audience to really want to go where this story is going. 
And if it's just Jesus, it's this couple fighting the whole time. What the hell? I'm not going to keep listening. So it was a, I had to kind of thread that needle to give enough information about where their, what their background was and why they were going to Vegas and them as a couple before the story really kicks into gear. You know, that's interesting because, um, the first episode really is mostly about the two of them. Yeah. We don't really get a big sense of the danger that's coming. Mm. I mean, there's little hints, um, but it's, you do a lot of world building. We do meet Steven. He sits down at the blackjack table with Riley, gets to know him, they talk and, and he doesn't do anything or say anything, but you know, there's always a part of me in my head that's going, we're going to see him again. It's a game. That's all it is. Going to love games. You can tease them, play with them, have a whole lot of fun. I don't know. But watch yourself. You don't want to get burned. Lately, she's just, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it totally wrong. Well, of course you are. But if she wants you to keep trying, you keep at it. Am I right? Yeah, I'm right. Double engine. See, I remember. I always do. Could you bring us a proper drink, not the watered-down shit you have for the floor? Mind if I choose? No, please. Real simple. Two fingers of Jameson in a rock glass. Ha! <laughs> That's my drink. How'd you know? It's what I do. It's my business. People are my business. How they think, act, the choices they make. No shit. Really? Damn. Ha! <laughs> no, I'm just fucking with you. No, I'm a local liquor salesman. One with a taste for the good stuff. And I figured you won for the same. Yeah, you got me there. I do like the good stuff. And, and that was John, uh, Dr. John, I call him Dr. John, uh, John Hall, who's a doctor. And he would come to the recording session in Scrubs. He would leave his, his job. And it, I just got in the habit of calling him Dr. John. And, and I think I remember early on, one of the thoughts I wanted was I wanted to connect with a group of actors that I would consistently work with on other projects and uh, yeah. like a Mercury Theater kind of vibe. Dr. John, is, for me, has become one of those actors. I put him in the Stephen King project. I'm doing a, he's directing a Western in early March and he cast me as a sheriff. And so I felt like I was, he'd helped me out. I was doing him a favor. But to me, John, when I heard his audition, it was like he was, I'm a big Elmore Leonard fan. And mm. John has that voice and mannerism that fits right in that Elmore Leonard world. So it was a great, he was a great villain. You spend a lot of time developing Vegas itself. You talk, yeah. uh, we get to meet like a cabbie. We get to, you know, the check-in process, the hotels, the rules in the mm-hmm. casino. We see a high rolling chic go by and in the entourage. I'm curious as to why you wanted to spend the time developing Vegas almost as a character here. Because I think it, it goes back to that being so unique in the world. I mean, it, Vegas to me is not, you could gamble anywhere, but it's not Mississippi. It's not uh, Atlantic City. It's not Monte Carlo. It's its a, its, its own place that draws people from all around the world. So I, and I do think Vegas is a, is a character. It's a part of the story. And as the story continues, it, it really does take place mainly in this casino. All the intricacies, there's no windows in, in casinos in there's no clocks in casinos. Most rooms in casinos are very boring because they want to get you on the floor. Mm. Casinos are designed that no matter where you have to go, you got to crisscross the casino floor because they want you to stop and play a slot machine or play a table. That always fascinated me, the idea of how a casino really is a, its own entity. And, and yeah, it did become part of the story. You're right. From what I understand, I've never been to Vegas, but um, mm-hmm. I, I do understand the psychology of what they're trying to do out there. Yeah. And it seems like they're designing, I don't want to say a trap, but maybe it is. It um, is. Yeah, where, I look at it that way. It's a trap. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's a psychological trap where mm-hmm. you um, you come to Vegas and you are subtly encouraged to spend all your money. And yet, I think that's a nice parallel, I think, to what happens to Riley over yeah. the course of the story, that he gets sort of 
sucked into this web of uh, uh, sin and mm-hmm. depravity and danger, and he gets trapped too. Yeah, and I think it was, I, I've always felt through, and I think it, it was honestly because of, of working in Las Vegas, and you just get to see, if you if you just peel away that layer of all the, the billboards with the smiling people at the airport and everything that's designed to get you there, there's really a seedy underbelly to Las Vegas that's mm-hmm. really all about winning, and it really does have a vibe that everything goes if you can afford it, if you can pay for it, or if you're connected to the right people. I saw that as Riley just... They were going out like any couple would, and it, it didn't take much for him to kind of tip over and, and go down a very dark hole. Yeah. As the show goes along, we learned that Bryn has been kidnapped by a consortium of mysterious people who then force Riley to do terrible things or dangerous things in order to win her back. Um, so this was your first audio drama attempt, right? Mm-hmm. And success, yeah. I should say. Oh, thank you. As you look back on the process and you're looking ahead to doing more, how do you feel about how it went? To me, audio dramas are akin to independent theater. What independent film used to be in the early 90s, the Tarantino, Rodriguez, uh, Richard Linklater era. Right. That's how I see. And there is a Wild West vibe to audio dramas. I don't think there's a a platform. There, there's a lot of different platforms out there. There hasn't been one that's very gotten to be the forefront Audible is probably the the one that seems to be in the in the lead right now, but I don't necessarily think that's where everybody's going to land. It just right. feels like it's fertile ground for storytelling, and I like the ability to be able to tell a completed story and then deliver that to an audience. I tend to tell a story that I want to read or watch or listen to, and if other people want to join me, that's great. But I don't set out to try to tell a story for for somebody else. I'm trying to be happy with the material that I'm creating. Yeah, this really this project was really a family. You know, I, I kind of pulled everybody I could into it. Friends, family, my middle sister catered it. My youngest sister helped design our website. My nephew is yeah. is a voice in the project. So it's just everybody I could pull in on this, I was able to bring in and we're going to do, we're going to do this. And everybody seemed to want to go along with it and have a good time. Yeah. Well, that's definitely the Wild West feel of it, right? It's just mm-hmm. like you get your friends and family together and, and you do it. I like that you, you can't have an ego in this. Like I'm the writer director, <laughs> but I was also the guy that made sure the ice was in the coolers at all time. And I cleaned the exactly. studio at the end of the night. And I, I like working with, with creative people and talented people and, and people that want to go the distance. I found that on Triple Six, I, like I said, I connected with some actors that I know I'll work with on projects consistently moving forward because I enjoyed the process with them so much. So right. it, it was like I'm building a, a group of people that I can consistently work with here in Central Texas. And I, I like that aspect of it. But it does have an yeah. indie, in, independent film feel to it. I, I really love that. Yeah. Uh, community theater reminds too. But I mean, some community theater is like, oh, you go to see your friends and that's fine. But then there's some community theater that really knocks it out of the park, right? Um, and I think there's, there's that same kind of feel in the audio drama space. There's a lot of room. There's a lot of variety. The money hasn't found it yet, right? No. It's true. That's um, the trouble in paradise. I guess there's not a lot of money in it. And I was told that up front, but I don't think you do anything in a creative world for the money. It, it Money comes, but you do it because you really want to do it. And and that's right. if you're trying to get rich off of this, this is not the business to be in. Definitely. What do you struggle with artistically or otherwise in this business? Oh, it's, it's always, you know, I mean, it's full of dead ends and false starts and fool's gold. Uh, it's just the way, the nature of, 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 the creative industry. I think it's that. So there's a lot of struggle. I mean, everybody has a breaking point. I don't quit. And I'll be honest, I don't know if that's a positive trait or a personality flaw. <laughs> it's just my, it's just the way I am. So there's a lot of that. I mean, I've, I've worked with people that I don't, it's like, I don't need help doing nothing with my work. I don't know. You know I've never really understood that people that want to attach themselves yeah. and don't do anything. It's like, I don't get that. But also I want to work with talented people and, and I know my strengths and weaknesses. 
I'm good at this, but I'm not so good at that. So I'll find people who are good at those things. You can't be in the, in a creative industry without hitting walls constantly. And it's up to you to figure out ways to get around them, over them, under them, deal with them. How do you measure success? Completion, getting, getting the work out to an audience. I mean, you can't dictate how people are going to respond to it. And I think that's fair game. People like it, people don't. If you're going to like the good reviews, you have to take the bad reviews. So I kind of look at that as a wash. For me, it's, it's getting the project to where I'm happy with. I think it was a Coen Brothers line. When is something completed when you just can't stand it anymore? And that <laughs> makes sense to me. It's like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. So it's done uh, right. and it's out in the world. I like that aspect of it, of getting work out to an audience. And a part of my struggle with LA was just constantly hitting walls or having projects that look like they were going to take off. And you just have a, you got to be effing kidding me moment when it, if everything falls apart and you're like, mm, okay, so then you yeah. just pick up. And that happens so, so many times that honestly, I like getting a project completed and delivering it to an audience. And what they think is, is gravy after that. Trying to validate the artistic effort that you put into something for its own sake, right? Mm -hmm. Getting something finished and saying, hey, I finished it. And there's always part of me personally, there's, there's, there's always this little voice that said, yeah, but you know, what's it any good, right? And I, that's something that I've been struggling with and I'm coming to better terms with it. But it's like, yeah, I, uh, I put it out and I like it. So I can feel proud of that. But that little voice is hard for me to shut up sometimes. Oh no, it, and it'll 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 get you all the time. And I've I've run yeah. into that voice a lot. And uh, that's when you know I remember hitting. I, I was with CAA for five years, and when that came to an end, I mean it was an amicable breakup. They said they'd no longer be working with me, and I said okay. There really wasn't anything else <laughs> I could do, so I went on. But I was like, what am I going to do next? And that led to the documentary in Jamaica, which was like a meteor hitting me. There was no way in hell I was supposed to do that. Yeah. Even the audio dramas came about from what am I going to do now? And then going to that panel at the Austin Film Festival with Casey Whalen just kind of opened this whole world up to me. I'm always grateful for that. If I hadn't done Triple Six, I wouldn't have led to One for the Road, which was the Stephen King story. I wouldn't have done that. And I was so happy to do that. And now I'm excited to do our third production or our third major big production. So everything leads somewhere. And sometimes you don't necessarily know where it's going, where it's going to take you. But I, I am one of those people that believe, you know, doors close, windows open, that you just never know where things are going to take you. What lessons have you learned about creating audio drama that you can share with people who might want to create their own? If you really want to do an audio project, it, it's akin to an independent film. So I think the more legwork you can do up front, the better. Get a solid script, cast correctly, not just your friends. Uh, you need professional actors. It's worth getting people, especially for the lead roles. You know, I was able to bring my friends in on, on, or, family and friends for one or two line parts because they were like, I'd love to be a part of this. And people wanted to, uh, can I be in it? I'm like, yeah, I can throw a line your way or two or something. But for your leads, I think you really need actors who know what they're doing and uh, you need to be able to talk to them. You need to be able to explain what it is you want. You need to decide what battles you're going to fight in the moment. You're not going to win them all, but if you have final cut, you're going to probably win what you want. It's important to do your homework if you're going to do this. It's not anything I think you want to do flippantly, but just be prepared, be ready and prepared and, and have fun with it. That's part of the thrill. If you've done your homework, you know what you want. You can get what you need as a director, but you also can, can really work with the actress. And sometimes amazing things come out of those moments that you weren't even thinking. So what's next? I was floored to get to do the Stephen King project and that's gone on the festival yeah. circuit. It's probably my biggest award winner so far. We're just now getting to the end of the festivals. We hit the Moondance Festival at the beginning of the year. We just got invited to the UK. I'm working on a book called Gun Barrel Highway, which is an action thriller that I'll wrap up probably in the spring. And then I've got a ghost story called 1134 that we're thinking of doing. And that's a very small cast and you know, very small cast for that story. I could do the Werewolf Western, which would be a lot of fun. 
I've got a script called Parasite Zero, which is like 28 Days Later meets Breaking Bad, which would be a really <laughs> fun script to do. And that's actually another good, good thing as a, as a creator. It's to amass material. I could write scripts and books, and now I'm taking scripts that I couldn't, you know, that were on my shelf that I liked. And, um, oh, these would be great radio, audio dramas. I could, I could create them this way. So what the audio world has done is, is just open up another avenue to create content and find an audience. And that's really what I'm excited about is connecting with like-minded people and, and getting work out, not just things ending up in a box that never gets seen again, but actually, yeah, there's, there's material here. We could do something with this. And I'm finding it's much easier to do that as audio dramas than it would be to do it in the industry in Los Angeles or even as independent films. Hey, I'm sorry I left, but you should see how much money I won. You know what? Let's buy tickets for that thing I don't want to see. Bren? Bren? I'm coming in, babe. Great. I'm talking to a ghost who left the lights on and a wet towel on the floor. And look at this. Bottles in the sink. Is this the right room? Brent? Sweetheart, where the hell are you? Triple Six is a thriller in the mold of Elmore Leonard, focused on the gritty and dark side of humanity. Crime fiction fans will enjoy the tension and danger. It's also a great example of how the audio drama medium can create a path for creative expression where other media put up barriers. You can listen to Triple Six on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for a link to their website. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.